Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. After the Apocalypse, a pandemic survival story. Season 3, Episode 1. Bones. The old man rolled over and brushed his head against the side of the nylon tent. It took a moment to shake off the velvet fog of a good night's sleep and remember where he was. He shook the sleeping bag off and curled forward, grabbing clumsily at the zippered entrance. His stiff hands and knees protested as he crawled out to where he was clear enough to stand. He unfolded upright with a customary grunt and grinding of joints. He stretched his arms over his head to lengthen his spine, inhaled deeply of the cool morning air, and looked at Bill the dog. It's not the Marriott, he said to the dog, who was eyeing him from a guard position outside the tent, but it beats sleeping in the mud with the chiggers. Bill the dog looked at him with curious and expectant eyes. The old man considered this and continued, No offense intended, dog, he smiled at the dog. Remember, we tried you sleeping in the tent and it wasn't a great experience for either of us. First of all, you snore and you run in your sleep. Second, you've got a gas problem. And third, I don't need dog French kisses at three o'clock in the morning. Bill the dog continued to look at him without comment. A more appropriate truth would have been that, with all the dried beans and lentils the old man was eating, the gas problem was mutual. They both turned to see Janet emerge from the woods, carrying a trowel and a roll of toilet paper. Good morning, she said. Have a good night's sleep? Pretty good, the old man replied. I was just telling Bill here how I used to be a diamond-level frequent stayer at the Marriott. The company would put me up in those posh hotels in the city when I traveled for business. He looked wistful. They had the best, big, fluffy-down pillows, and those high-end sheets and comforters, and those deep pillow-top mattresses that you could just burrow right into and sleep like a king. Janet nodded, wondering where this speech was headed, and when she could stop paying attention, she carried a dry branch that she had taken from deadfall in the bushes. She squatted and began shaving slivers off it into the cold fire pit with her knife. The old man was not discouraged by her lack of enthusiasm and plowed ahead with his story. He looked at her and said pointedly, Then, when someone got me cashiered from practicing medicine in the U.S., he paused here to see if she was listening. She raised her hand and said, Guilty as charged, doctor. Please continue with your tale of woe, and returned her focus to her work. He chuckled, having scored a point. Anyhow, when I was banished from my beloved homeland and was given the opportunity 
to provide my professional services in the heart of Africa? He paused again for effect. The accommodations were not as posh. I share two cots in a hot room with an ardent pediatrician from French Algeria named Kamel. Sounds lovely, Janet said. She was arranging the shavings into a loose pile with some dry grass. Kamel really wanted to save the world, one patient at a time. I was there because it was the only medical job I could get. I had a rough idea that I could reform my reputation and maybe get my old life back in some way. But really, I just wanted to get away from that dirty mess back in the city with metagentics. What did you do there? Janet asked and clarified. In Africa, as she unscrewed the hilt of her knife and shook out a flint. She had matches somewhere, and lighters were easy to find still, but the flint was simple enough and good practice. She would save the instant fire devices for when they really needed them. Saw a lot of interesting cases. Parasitic diseases, malnutrition, genetic disorders, grim stuff that was endemic there. These women would trek for miles with their sick kids, risking murder and rape and who knows what else to see us. And I always wondered, why? What kept them moving? Was it desperation? No. I saw it in their eyes. It wasn't desperation or duty. It was hope. Hope that their child could just live one more day and somehow live to have a better life. Janet thought about that and asked, So, is your point that parents will do anything to save their kids? Or that hope springs eternal? She struck the flint into the flammables and leaned over to blow. No, my point is that even an old army cot feels as good as a Marriott bed after 20 hours of helping Kamel save the lives of sick kids for their desperate mothers. Smoke was rising from the small fire now as Janet arranged the larger sticks. Janet looked up at him and spoke seriously. Sounds like you found some redemption over there after all. Maybe. The old man said, scowling deeply. Speaking of parasites, go filter some water. She tossed an empty jug in his direction. If you're quick about it, I'll buy you an air mattress at the next town. And a feather pillow. The old man laughed. Come on, Bill, he said. Man and dog walked off towards the river. They had plotted a route that was relatively direct, but avoided main roads as much as possible. Their reasoning was that on the main roads, they'd be more likely to run into survivors with itchy trigger fingers. Bill was out front, dog-jogging at point. Janet and the old man followed, each pushing baby joggers with their gear. He had objected to the baby joggers at first. He didn't like to be encumbered by equipment when he traveled. He liked to travel light. He also liked to travel alone. But that was another story. He had learned how to move quickly through this world and valued the flexibility of being able to do so, especially now with so much chaos and violence as survivors reacted to the apocalypse. He had argued with her that pushing these rigs would just slow them down, but Janet had prevailed. She had argued that they needed to have a secure source of food and water to cover the couple hundred miles to where Paul's college was. She had said they could always ditch the joggers if they got in the way and go back to living off the land. He had considered taking the dog and slipping off alone, 
but had come to trust this woman for some reason that he could not quite fathom, like he had come to trust the dog. These weren't the same baby joggers you'd see earnest and pudgy new mothers pushing around suburban neighborhoods in the old days before the virus had come and wiped out 95% of the population. They had customized these rigs with the help of mags and a group at the distribution center. These were equipped with larger diameter tires for better speed and durability. They had been hardened with aluminum framing for rough road conditions, but at the same time stripped down to be as light as possible. In the end, he had relented, but not before painting a skull and crossbones pirate flag on the canopy of his rig as a bit of rebellious fun and referring to it derisively as the Jolly Jogger. He considered this as a knobby mountain bike tire spun ahead of him, throwing up a rooster tail of dust and gravel. The morning sun rose behind them in the east and warmed their shoulders as they followed the river roughly southwest. It was early summer now, almost six months since the world had ended. Only six months, and so much had changed. He could see it in the way the new growth was encroaching on this riverside right of way. He could see it in the fallen trees and branches that frequently slowed their progress. He could see it in the washouts from rain and flooding. Nature was taking back the world. How long before this road was gone completely? How long before the highways and bridges collapsed and the buildings all crumpled to rock piles? How long before humanity was just bands and tribes wearing furs and running through the forest with spears, chasing the feral pigs? Maybe they were already there. Why does it matter anymore? He thought. He was one old man in the apocalypse. He had nothing left to give this world and was frankly tired of it. He had almost given up and laid himself on the great pile of bones that was humanity's legacy. But he had met this dog and this woman and the rest of the survivors, and that had given him a reason to keep getting up and to keep fighting. But what was it really that kept him going? Was it cowardice on his part? Fear? Fear of the Reaper? Fear of his own inevitable death? selfishness for his own survival? Or was it some version of that hope he had seen in the desperate eyes of those women as they clutched their sick and dying children? Cut it out, he muttered out loud. What? Janet said, surprised out of her own thoughts. Sorry, nothing. Just reminding myself to stop thinking so much. He shrugged. She looked at him for a moment, trying to evaluate if she should be worried. Everyone was a bit shell-shocked and broken in this new world, and you never knew when it would come to the surface. There's something up ahead, he said, nodding his head up the road, conveniently changing the subject and deflecting her attention. Looks like an abandoned vehicle, she agreed. Standard approach, then? Sounds good, he agreed. The left tree line seems to have a better cover. They left the carts and made their way along the left side of the road in a move-and-cover approach with a dog trailing a bit back in reserve. Nine times out of ten there was nothing to worry about, but as the apocalypse progressed, there was more often that tenth time where some desperate survivors set an ambush to steal supplies from unwary travelers. 
Janet carried a rifle now for those situations. It was an interesting piece designed for U.S. pilots when they were shot down in the forest. A Henry U.S. Revival AR-7. The whole thing weighed only three and a half pounds and could be folded up into the stock with two eight-round magazines. When packed, it was no bigger than some of the Louis Vuitton handbags women had carried in the city. Mags had wanted them to carry sidearms, but they didn't like the extra weight. The Henry had to be assembled each time she wanted to use it, but was great for hunting and for situations like this where a little firepower might be needed. The old man still had his crossbow. They tried to talk him into something more formidable, but he said he was too old to learn something new and didn't much like the complexity of guns. Everything was quiet as he approached. The truck was a ubiquitous Ford F-150 pickup truck with a bed cap. Janet studied the bushes beside the truck with a rifle, but nothing stirred. The old man moved to peek into the cab. There's no tracks, the old man said. Nothing's been here for a while, he concluded. Janet lowered her rifle. The old man called Bill to join him. Zook! The old man said to the dog in German. Bill put his head down and began searching around the vehicle. He stopped at the back gate, sat, and barked. Something's in the back. The old man cautioned, keep your eyes open. Janet slowly peered into the open hatch of the truck cover. Got what's left of a body back here, she said. The old man pulled open the driver's side door of the truck and looked inside. There was nothing but some dusty, discarded clothes and trash. Tank's empty, he said loudly to Janet. Was probably trying to outrun the plague, Janet said. The old man joined her at the back of the truck and peered into the collection of clothes and bones. Looks like it caught them. He waved at the dog and instructed, Watch! Bill perked up and looked alert. Not much left, Janet said. It wasn't the first body they'd found. She was starting to get hardened to it. It was a world full of bones now. The old man poked at the pile of bones with a stick. Looks like two of them, he said conversationally, clinically. A woman and a child. Jesus! Janet said and shook her head. Can you imagine? She continued, this poor mom driving with her last scrap of energy to get away to save her kid. She continued, looking at the old man for some sort of empathy. How many hundreds of these poor human stories are there? It makes me feel heavy and sad for them. The old man poked with his stick. Calcium hydroxyapatite and some collagen, he said. What? Janet said, there's no people here, lady, just bones. You're not doing yourself any favors, filling your head with ghost stories. They may be bones now, she said, but they were people. I think it's important to remember that. It helps us keep our humanity. The old man thought about this and said, you know how many men died at the Battle of Waterloo? Janet stared blankly at him. Somewhere around... Fifty thousand, he continued, not waiting for a response. Do you know how many skeletons they found when the governments went back to the mass graves on the battlefield in the 1900s? He paused for effect and then continued, Very few, only a handful. Janet looked at him, trying to discern his point. So what? 
she said. Do you know what happened to the bones of those 50,000 war dead, British, French, and allied? They decomposed? She gasped, although she knew he had some other, bigger point to make. No! The French dug them up in the late 1800s and sold them to British industrialists who ground them up and made bone meal for fertilizer. He gestured at the back of the truck. There's no humanity here, just bone meal for potatoes and cabbages. I don't care, she said. Your scientific coldness doesn't erase the fact that these were people with lives and loves and dreams and hope. The old man just shrugged and grunted. Suit yourself, he looked down the road. We should get moving. There's a town up ahead. We can find a place for the night. They left a dirt road at a bridge over the river and began to follow a two-lane blacktop road towards town. The woods gave way to unkempt, empty fields. The fields gave way to deserted houses. Everything was quiet and lifeless. And another time, they might be on an early Sunday morning walk before the locals stirred for church. But nothing moved here. There were no lights in the houses, no smell of eggs and bacon, cooking for the man of the house to read over his Sunday paper. It was a dead place. The road led to the familiar outlines of a small city ahead, a few taller buildings. A row of industrial grain silos stood astride railroad tracks along the river port, a water tower on a hill with large lettering announcing Clayville and Home of the Volunteers in script below. Janet, the old man, and Bill cautiously made their way down Main Street towards what would be the center of town. It was still quiet, quiet to the point of making them unconsciously jumpy as they approached. Janet paused at the corner of a building and gestured the old man up. She whispered low, There's something in the road up there. See it? The old man squinted. Something painted on the road? Yeah, she said. Might be another one of those keep-out signs that we've seen in some of these abandoned towns. As the plague ravaged through the country, it was common for the locals to try to barricade their main streets or to try to scare off outsiders. When they couldn't understand the evil, they always blamed outsiders. It was human nature. Keep your eyes open, he said. But I haven't seen a body. Town looks empty. Bill hasn't noticed anything. He gestured toward the dog who was sitting in the shade with his tongue hanging out watching them. Well, that's new, the old man said as they looked down at the painted symbol on the road. Any ideas? Janet said. Nothing I recognized, he shrugged. Maybe some druids living here. The attempted joke fell flat. One side of the marking painted on the road was a spiral inside a ten-foot-wide thick circle. Where the spiral touched the edge of the circle, an arc shot out at a curve for a few feet and ended in what looked like a starburst or sun. Strange, Janet said, but you never know. Someone survived. Maybe they're crazy. Maybe it's art. Who knows? Stay close and keep your eyes open. Probably trying to talk to the aliens. He tried again, but still wasn't funny at all. They were both becoming increasingly tense. 
they continued to approach the town square. Jesus, Janet swore under a breath. What the hell is that? The old man looked where she was pointing. Some sort of trash pile, he said. Maybe they were collecting the dead to burn them. You know, to disinfect the city. It was another familiar symptom of the early days of the plague. The dead would be piled up and burned to prevent the spread. Something's not right, Janet said. They stayed low and alert for any signs of life and moved from car to car towards the spot. When they were close enough, they waited a few minutes before moving out into the open to investigate. In front of the local courthouse, someone had piled up hundreds, maybe thousands of human bones. They had arranged the long bones structurally around the outside to support the mound. Rib cages and torsos sat propped up around a ring of long bones, as if in decoration on some grisly cake. On top were arranged hundreds of skulls facing out to leer at them. They approached the pile of bones. More than a pile, a monument of some sort, they approached it cautiously, stealing glances at it while scanning the surrounding area for signs of life or signs of threat. But there was no movement. It was still quiet. No sound other than the wind in the grass and the lonely cooing of pigeons in the alleyways. It was deserted except for the grim pile of bones. Well, that's a bit creepy, the old man said. What the hell is it? Janet asked, looking around warily. The old man replied, A lot of fertilizer. Ready to pop the question? The jewelers at BlueNile.com have got sparkle down to a science with beautiful lab-grown diamonds worthy of your most brilliant moments. Their lab-grown diamonds are independently graded and guaranteed identical to natural diamonds, and they're ready to ship to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me, because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Hello, my survivor friends. Welcome back to season three of After the Apocalypse. This is Chris, your host. Did you enjoy your vacation, huh? Your time off? Did you miss me? Have you seen the new subscription option on ACAST Plus that I've been talking about? So you can pay me a pittance to get the shows early and or ad free now. And this is new, so go take advantage of it if you want. 
And it's a great way to get something you want and also help me directly because the ads alone, they don't cover my costs. So if you want to help, this is how. But the show continues to grow. We've got 200 members in our Facebook group now. Yay. We've got a consistent 20,000 downloads a month. So I'm not complaining. And I've had a great summer. Took some time off. Did some things. I did manage to get two episodes of that Alien Schizoid series out, which was uh, kind of fun with Mike, my, my noir series. And I think I have two more episodes of that to finish it up. And I'll see if I can squeeze that in. I've got a great season of shows lined up for you, starting with this one. So let us gird our loins and venture out into the dark, apocalyptic landscape of Season 3 together. And to take you out, I want to talk about the amazing Richard Matheson. So, we all know who people like Stephen King are, but... Do we know who Richard Matheson is, or was? Well, there's been a lot of talk about a potential I Am Legend 2 this year, so that encouraged me to take an opportunity to get to know Richard Matheson a little bit better and give him his due. So, let's go. Richard Burton Matheson, born 1926, died 2013, wrote many speculative fiction, horror, fantasy stories, novels, some you know, like I Am Legend, but many others that you will know once you've heard me talk about them, but you never realized were his. He published I Am Legend in 1954, and most of you will be familiar with this work from the Will Smith movie, the eponymous version of this from 2007, and that movie is the third time this novel has been made into a movie. The first was in 1964. It was a movie starring Vincent Price called The Last Man on Earth. And the second was The Omega Man, starring Charlton Heston. And I have seen all these movies. But surprisingly for me, I had never read the original book. So to rectify that sin, I bought it off of Thrift Books and read it this summer a black mark expunged from my record. How are these three movies? You know, how do they compare to the book? Well, after reading it, I can see why they wanted to make it into a movie. It's a really good story. But the challenge is that much of what makes it good, much of that action, happens inside the protagonist's head, which is hard to capture on film. In the book... The main character, Robert Neville, is not a classic science fiction hero. He's not confident. He's not brave. He's not in control. He's this depressed, lonely, horny, semi-alcoholic who has to get up every day and figure out how to survive in the vampire apocalypse. That's right. The book is a classic vampire apocalypse. And you can see all over this the influence of the original Dracula films and their tropes. The book goes into a lot of machinations to explain how vampirism is actually an airborne bacteria. So these vampires, though, they aren't smart. They stumble around at night, banging on the outside of his house with rocks and sticks. And interestingly, George A. Romero said that these slow 
vampires from this first movie, they inspired his zombies in the original Night of the Living Dead. So there you go. Influential work. I am legend. But after reading the book, I rewatched the Vincent Price movie. It's available on YouTube. And honestly, it's a bad movie. <laughs> the camera work is incredibly boring. It's like a 1960s television studio set piece. But of the three, this first one does hew the closest to the original novel. And Matheson himself worked on this movie directly. So enough about I Am Legend. Richard Matheson contributed so much more than I Am Legend. When I bought my copy of I Am Legend to read this summer, it came with a collection of 11 stories. And I was delighted to read these stories. Matheson is such a wonderful writer. He's got this great literary depth combined with the practicality of a working writer. He wrote dozens of stories that blended speculative fiction with fantasy and horror. And as I was reading these, I thought to myself, hey, this sounds a lot like Ray Bradbury. And on further research, it turns out that Richard Matheson was in the same writing group as Ray Bradbury. So that makes sense. And the other thing that struck me was that the stories were all very familiar, like I had read them or seen them before. One of them, called Prey, about an African doll that comes to life to hunt a woman around her apartment, I knew I had seen this before on TV. And it turns out I had in Trilogy of Terror from 1975. There was another one I quite enjoyed called Madhouse, which was about an evil house trying to kill a man, but it was also about writer's block, which I appreciated. So what else has Matheson written or done that you would recognize? How about that episode from Twilight Zone with William Shatner and the gremlin on the wing? Yeah, that's from a Matheson story, Nightmare at 20,000 Feet. And not only did he write a lot of Twilight Zone episodes, but he also wrote Rod Serling's opening and closing monologues for those stories. Have any of you seen Steven Spielberg's second feature-length film from 1971 called Duel, where Dennis Weaver is chased by a murderous tractor-trailer? That's a Matheson story and a Matheson screenplay. How about that cheesy movie Real Steel with Hugh Jackman in it, Wolverine? Yep, that's a remake, and originally a Matheson story. Another one you probably remember is a story called The Box, a bit of a psychological thriller. And in this story, a poor couple is given an empty box with a button on top, and they are told if they push the button, someone they don't know will die, but they'll get 250 grand. So that sets up this great morality tale. What would you do? Well, that's a Matheson story called Button Button that was made a couple times in Hollywood. And finally, do you remember that Star Trek episode where the transporter malfunctions and it creates an evil Captain Kirk? Yeah, that's right, Richard Matheson. All kinds of great stuff. I can go on and on and on. The guy was not only a great writer, he was super prolific as a writer and a screenwriter throughout the 60s, 70s, 80s. So now you know a little bit more 
about the large contribution that Richard Matheson has made to our shared universe of speculative fiction, I think we can all take a moment and give homage to the late, great Richard Matheson. And I bet Richard would have really enjoyed writing a great episode of After the Apocalypse, don't you? He would probably have put vampires in it. So, thank you for sticking with us during our summer vacation. Let's have fun for Season 3. And like I said in the intro, I set up three options for you on ACAST+. Plus. The first is early release. With this option, you get the shows a week before the general public. Second is early access and ad-free. So you get them early and without the ACAST ads. And finally is early ad-free and extra content where I will drop the additional shows and interviews and all that other stuff that I've been working on for your eyes only. And that's my ask for the week. Otherwise, you still get the shows you normally would when they drop for public consumption with ads in them. Now let's all hold hands, close our eyes, and take a giant step with me into the adventures that await in Season 3 of After the Apocalypse, as we, yes, you and I, keep surviving. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.